0: to the first of the Barnet Support Association podcast. I'm Mem, I'm going to be hosting today with Charlie Casson from Charlie Chats Footy. Today our two guests are Mark Whiteleg, who is the chairman of the Barnet Support Association, and uh, Carla Devine, who's on the executive committee. Welcome everybody, how are you all doing?
1: Very well.
2: Good, thank you.
1: Yeah, very
3: good, thanks Mem.
0: Good, good. So the reason we're recording this podcast is we want to keep the communication flowing between the supporters. So t- today um, at the weekend, Mark and Carla and Mike Riddle all went and met with the Chairman, and Dean Brennan, um, and I think is it Daniel and Daniel Martin? And um, we sent out a summary today on, on social media and through email. but we wanted this episode was to talk, talk through it and just put a bit more meat on the bones, ask a few questions, just so that we can get a bit, a bit more of a flavor of what was discussed in the meeting. and we'll talk about the game today as well and we'll answer any questions that have been sent in. So, I suppose, first things first, Mark. Thanks for coming on today. And just give us a bit of a flavour of of how you felt the meeting went with with the club.
3: Yeah, I think the meeting was uh, very positive, and I think um, our intentions were well-received by uh, Tony Cleanthus and his team. It was really good to meet Dean Brennan and also uh, Daniel Martin as well. And... um, I think it was an open meeting um we were we were um allowed to put our points across and um Tony listened to all of those and um we you know had the opportunity also to hear a bit more about what um the club was doing particularly in the community area also a little bit of background on you know uh, the decision around Harry Kewell as well, which I think was interesting and um I think it was really good um it's very interesting to hear uh dean brennan's kind of overall football philosophy and what they were trying to build for the long term uh you know not just about the first team coach and uh, and the fact that they needed to make a change which obviously no one thought was ideal but it was the right thing to do but trying to build that sort of footballing phys- philosophy for the long term and also for um from daniel martin as well to hear about all this stuff that's going on at the um um, the um, community side of things the number of schools have got engaged and certainly it was one of the things that we'd talked about as a sports association before was about this whole community side of things we didn't really feel as though it was there was a strategy behind it a plan behind it but Daniel Martin certainly seems to have that so uh yeah very good uh, meeting
1: Um Carla just quickly next um I know you guys were there with TK and he, he explained uh about the circumstances around Harry Kuehl leaving. Um, can you just tell us a little bit more about that and um, what what detail TK went into regarding regarding Kuhl, um getting relieved of his duties?
2: Yeah, um, the decision was filled by both Dean Brennan and Tony Kaye, which is obviously reflective of the director of football set up and actually showing that the director of football has a purpose. Um, and what I thought was really interesting was, I think in previous years, and this has probably been proved, we'd leave a second too long. So we, will, for example, would let Harry Cuell have the next few games because if you think about the Weymouth, Dover and Kingsland game, you kind of think, oh, their games, we have a chance of winning. So usually I think the decision would be left for till those three games are over, then see where we're at. Whereas the decision right now was taken, Dean Brennan said basically, if Harry Cule had stayed and we hadn't got any points from those games, we'd be quite far adrift from the rest of the league, and that happened to us last season. By taking the decision and now, it means and we sit like we won at the weekend against Weymouth and if we can go and get results at Kingsley and Dover and obviously we'll see what happens with Halifax but if we can get results in these games then actually we're not far adrift and we can still achieve something so I think it is credit to the director of football setup up that these decisions are being made at the right time and what's right for the club.
1: But if we do go on to get results in those games under Dean Brennan you know you'd expect the crowd and and the, all the fans wanting him to stay as a manager and then you know he he's got this um strategy and and hit these ideas moving forward for the club to to make us a better club what does that all go you know does that all go to waste or is there a plan to you know if Dean Brennan does take the job which i'm sure he does he's a manager i'm sure he wants it what happens then do we do we then get someone else into be the head of football or does that all go all go to waste
2: See, so I'm a bit confused because I initially thought Dean Brennan would end up with the job, and I thought, oh, the whole director of football setup is going to go to waste. But actually, Dean Brennan talked very positively about the director of football setup, and um, he seemed to really have bought into it. And Tony K kind of echoed the same sentiments, and it seems like everyone's on the same page that like the director of football setup is what we need. So, in my opinion, um, if like if we do get results, I assume Dean Brennan would also want the job if things go well because, as you say, he's a manager and he's still young. Um, so if that is the case, I assume we'd then get a new director of football in. But whatever happens, I do believe we will still have a director of football because it seemed like everyone thought that is what we've needed to kind of get the stability at the club going.
0: That's interesting. So um, from your perspective, Mark, how did you feel about the you know the potential sort of um, sort of self- movement around in that in that that director of football potentially Dean Brennan might move into the manager's job and might get another one in or, or did he not give you that feeling
3: well I I I got the impression that I think Dean wanted to stay as director of football but I I think we can't rule in or rule it out really um I I think the one thing that came across though is that we want to develop um you know a a a culture of how we're set up to play football okay and whatever happens whether it's he becomes manager or whatever we we can't lose that because um, one of the things that came across was that one of the reasons I think why um, Harry uh, didn't stay in the job was and I think our supporters could see this was that there didn't seem to be a, a cohesive approach to um, the way we're playing the game, it just seemed to be very choppy and changey in terms of uh, tactics, lineup, um, and and personnel. Some of that might have been down to injuries, perhaps, but but they didn't really seem to tie in with what Dean was saying in terms of building that sort of philosophy. So, I think that for me, the jury's out on whether he'll become manager or not. I think obviously, if he gets results in the next few games, um, obviously you know, people will want to see him in there because he's making a difference with the selection of the team. But I don't think it's a given that he, he he would want to stay in that role. Um, it may well be that they want to bring in somebody who buys into that strategy.
0: So moving on to um some of the other things that that were discussed in, in the meeting, it was interesting the information you used gathered around uh, Dan Martin's role. And that sounded really interesting, especially around sort of going around all the schools and uh, on board in schools. So, so can you sort of describe a bit about um how he was doing that and what he was doing well the,
3: the the fundamental premise behind it is to build long-term relationships with schools in the local area not just give them free tickets and it's absolutely the right approach um, um i believe because only by building the long-term relationships do you get any kind of uh, loyalty basically for from those clubs to actually promote and support uh, Barnet football club. And that goes beyond just free tickets. It means getting our coaches in there, uh, getting our players in there, um, getting us known um, in the, uh, in the schools. And one point that actually uh, Daniel Martin made was that, well, we know that basically as kids sort of grow up into their teens, the Premier League teams have got a big pull. And um, the only really way we can counter that is the example that he used is saying that, well, for those kids that stay with Barnett, they can actually say, well, actually, um, you know, the striker I go and see every week basically came round to our school. Where do you get that with Spurs or Arsenal or Watford or whatever? You know, to get that connection with the club, basically, so they feel it's their club. And of course, I think we all feel as though that's something that um, has waned somewhat over the last few years. And uh, so for me, I think he's got exactly the right ideas about that long term investment in building relationships with the local community via the schools.
1: I just want to ask a question. Um, This is for for Mark Walkala about TK suggesting making the Legends stand uh, supporters hub. Um, What? does that entail just in a bit more detail um what 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 does he mean by a supporters hub and how how would that work and benefit us
3: should i take that one in terms of my impression yeah go okay on. well i actually think it's we've got to take responsibility for that to a degree i think he's opened the door to that i think it's up to us supporters to actually define perhaps what we want out of that and i think this is another theme i i really want to get across is that um as much as we need the club to take responsibility in a number of areas um i think a lot of those are very well known uh, us supporters also need to start taking responsibility too okay because um as i th- said i think in my statement we're far too small a club basically for the supporters and the club to be divided um we've got to be basically working together. And I appreciate all the history. I've I've been supporting uh, Barnet for over four years. I've been there through thick and thin, as it were. I know people, some people's views on uh, Tony Cleanthus and the way the club is run. But I think we've just got to start taking responsibility for the things that we can be responsible for. And one of those things is to come up with the ideas. And actually, if we're given the opportunity to make the Legend Stand, a supporters hub, hub, then let's take that opportunity. Let's see what we can do.
2: He was saying, because um, obviously there's a lot of like work going on in the Legend Stand, and I think there's going to be meeting rooms. So he was saying like he'd be happy for like the supporters association to have one of those meeting rooms regularly as like having a spot yep. there. And he also did say about, um I can't remember which club it was, but he went to a club in Europe, and the chairman showed the, showed him the sports bar, and he said it was, like, filled with scars from every club they had played. And he said, like, he absolutely loved that. And I think he's, like, we were saying the Legends bar is obviously, it's got Barnett's stuff in, but it's a bit, like museum y rather than like personal fan experience So I think that idea is to make it more of a like you don't go in and think, oh, this is branded Barnet. You go in and think, oh, this is my memory, is my Barnet.
3: Absolutely, Carlos.
0: So just have interest because I noticed that it was something we talked about in the um, support Association meeting was about making Barnetifying, as I think was the word we used. Um, do you think there's a. Is, was that presented to him about maybe not calling it the legend stand and actually naming all the stands around the stadium into sort of uh, barnet legends actual barnet legends rather than just calling it legend stand it,
3: it was um, it was to a degree in the context of the new south stand so as we learnt, i think which was really useful because of course the detail behind why uh, the terrace wasn't being in, wasn't in use was a bit sketchy uh, to say the least um, the detail around that kind of makes sense in the context of the overall development of the ground but um but putting a new um, stand there is is an opportunity basically for us to have some say in basically um what happens with that stand um you know even down to i think you know consultation on pricing also there'll be a bar there so um think about that as well but also i mean um one idea which we've put to Tony in the in the notes uh, it following the meeting was um, well when we open the stand let's make a big deal of it let's not call it the south stand let's call it the Lester Finch stand but why don't we let the supporters association based on a short list of names okay vote for the name of that stand and then get if it's if it's somebody like gary phillips for example we could get him to come along or if it's lester finch we could get someone with his family to come along and basically open it but also together with maybe a randomly picked um supporters association member uh, to come and open it as well and make a big fanfare of it okay and make sure that is you know that the name of that stand is loud and clear to everybody and and make that a statement of barnet the hive
0: no, I agree on that, and there, there was also the other bit as well, which I'm I'm, I'm pleased that um, you talked about was the possibility of uh, the south stand being a safe stand, safe standing stand. Um, I think I think I don't know from my perspective, and I'm just I'm just speaking for myself here, is Barnet uh, supporters. There will always be a need for a terrace, and currently the the terrace offering is not really uh, offers very good views. So I think a lot of people fans would be, would. I think would would be really keen to have a you know a standing area behind the goal. Um, what was your what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, yeah,
2: yeah. Go on, I, Carla. Sorry, I am definitely in favour of safe standing personally. I think if the South stand was, because I was actually having this conversation with the support the other day, and I was saying, like, right now, if they made a replica of the North stand, but for home fans, I'd be really conflicted whether I'd want to move because, obviously, I've got my seat in the West stand, but also I do, like, a behind the goal. But I think if the new South stand was safe standing, I would definitely want to move. And I think it's what you say, like, Barnet fans need a terrace. And I do think, genuinely, that... Not necessarily standing or terrace, but when you have kind of, I feel like when everyone's sitting down, it's hard to create an atmosphere. And obviously, you still can have people sitting with safe standing, but I feel like just having it there and having the option to stand, not having to, because if the standing becomes an east like stand, it's not really a good place for a terrace. So if the options there in the south stand, which will be a home fan, I think it will get the atmosphere better. And I think. Although like we didn't go into depth in it, we have obviously raised that as a possibility, and I personally would really like to kind of push that a bit more.
1: I think that's one of the things that when I was when I was a te- you know uh, when I, when, I, when my dad was let me uh, upgrade to the east stand from the northwest terrace when I was about twelve, um, that was one of the things that just gripped you, you know, as, a, as a, someone entering their teenage years, going down to this your local football club and just having that electrifying atmosphere on the terrace with all your mates with a drum you know it's that that's that's the thing that grip me and that's the thing that's going to get these youngsters in and, and create that atmosphere um so I think a terrace is um or, or safe standing is definitely something to push um because I think the atmosphere is what brings the people in especially uh you know new supporters or you've got, you know people go to school and they talk about how good the weekend was at Barnet or whatever and then they bring the mates along, and then they're hooked on this, on this raucous atmosphere they got behind the goal. So, I definitely feel like it's something we we should push for sure. Yeah,
2: I think especially when you've got the comparison with like the big clubs, and you're saying like, oh, this is what Barnet has to offer that the big clubs don't. And if you obviously think about Arsenal, Spurs, they are like these fancy seats, and I'm not obviously sitting in the West Stand. I sit there, but I think if you don't have an option to stand it. The football then it is becoming just more like one of those grounds and it does lose a bit of life so I think as you were saying like if you've got the option of standing and when you know you've got the teenagers who are saying, well I went to Barnet this weekend they can be like well we all stand and we all sing and we have a drum and whatever whereas you're you're just all sitting in your seats in your stadium like
3: yeah and the irony there is that obviously some Premier League grounds are looking to put in safe standing So I think the other thing about examining what you really want to do with the south stand is where's the trends going basically for football stadia. And I think the, um, the trends are starting to shift away from the established approach where if you build anything new in a football ground, it's got to be seated. And I don't think we should um, be defaulting to that old potentially out-of-date thinking We, we should be thinking about what we can do to to keep ourselves actually current because actually safe standing may become very common in the future and and why shouldn't we be one of the ones that start that trend
0: i totally i totally agree mark and i think what's interesting about the idea of 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 also safe standing is that it gives uh, it actually gives options to the supporters because if another north stand or another w- like in a north or west stand s- type stand goes in the south stand, there really is no um, th- they're all identical offerings. i mean obviously the north stands are away fans, but for west stand and south stand, it's an identical offering, and I'm not sure that that's w- you know what we really want to be. We want to we don't really want to narrow the choice. But if we can like, offer the a terrace and offer a west stand. And I think that's I think that's only going to attract more younger supporters. And just go sort of following on to my next question is what was it, What was interesting about the conversation that we had in the sports association before leading up to this meeting was there was a very common theme is that the feeling was amongst the sports association was that the supporter the current Barnet fan is getting is getting older, and that we need to encourage the younger fans. So it's really positive that, that Dan Martin's going into the schools, but. Terracing is part of that, you know, bringing ki- bringing the youngsters in because they prefer a lot of youngsters prefer to stand, and um, and it was interesting. And uh, this moves on to the next point, really, around sort of Hive memberships and things like that. So things that will help the younger fan who's with a limited budget. And um, so, Carlo, c- can you just give us an idea about what uh, what TK and uh, was talking about when it came to the Hive membership and potential they might come back
2: right, Mark, you might have to come me a bit on this one, okay. but I believe he was saying that there are plans to introduce a free was it a free membership
3: that's right, yeah, that would be yeah. that would be across the high facilities, so it's not football specific, so that was to book pitches or um I don't know use the gym or whatever,
2: but then he was also saying the possibility of having like a sports association membership which would give you like benefits in terms of the football side of things so like discount on tickets so like obviously the membership that was there before where it wasn't a season ticket but it was when you went to occasional games but did save you money on those games it'd kind of be similar to that yeah but it'd be tied in with a sports association so if you were paying a like for example let's say, £2 a month, half the money would be going to the support association and half to the club, I believe.
3: Yeah, I think it was uh, one of, you know, several potential options there. And I think we've got to um, look carefully at the pros and cons of that. But but clearly, I think, um, on reflection, the club now understand that there needs to be that kind of uh, step between... Um, no membership and the season ticket. So, um, you know, we've had it before. Um, I think the reasons behind why we don't have it now weren't entirely clear, Um, but it's certainly acknowledged by the club, I think, Carla, that that's a kind of missed opportunity, which we do need to do something about, whichever way we actually end up implementing it. Yeah, I
2: agree. I think, obviously, the form in which it kind of materialises, is yet to be decided. But I think they have properly understood that there needs to be a membership for the fans that can't come to every game and can't commit to that. But when they do come to games, they'll be incentivised to come tomorrow if they've got a discount on that ticket but are also paying a low amount a month to have that kind of incentive there.
3: And I think there's also a couple of other things that that certainly I want to see is a bit more thought process behind not just um the kind of hive membership season tickets individual tickets um what, one of the things we've also lost with the with the east stand not now being used is the the family zone um and i think we need to be clear about what the strategy is regarding families because actually families do want to sit down generally you know if you've got if you've got uh, you know a, a child under about 12 then they're going to want to sit almost certainly um i think it's after that age up to the sort of late 20s is where you're more likely to get the the um people who want to stand because that's certainly what i did when i started uh, supporting barnet um, on the west bank at underhill um and i you know i think that's where we've got to have a very clear strategy about the different types of people that we want to attract to the hive and to make sure that there is an offering for them. And that does include um, uh, families as well, because I think that's also something that hasn't really been thought about enough.
1: All this stuff, I just want to ask a question. All this stuff that's happened with, you know, the the terrorists behind the goal not being used, the family stand not being used, um, without any sort of, uh, you know, we weren't, we weren't told in advance has this been done with complete disregard by you know the chairman or the people who are in charge of the decision uh or is it just a mistake and they genuinely didn't you know forgot to tell us they didn't think about what you know um outcome it would have on us what from from speaking to tk is there some is there a sort of you know uh not apology but i guess you know he he there could have been more communication on, on, on these things? Is he quite responsive and understanding in you know, what we're saying and what needs to be said to us beforehand?
3: Well, I, I would say based on what um, Tony said, uh, they, they know communication isn't a strong point. Um, but the other thing he'd also say is that um, it's something they need potentially help with and it's something potentially we can help with. Uh, Going forward, um, both obviously communication from the club, but also back to the club. I mean, you know, to be fair to the club, they've had no supporters association to deal with. No one central point to consult with over the last four to five years. Um, I don't think that um, is any excuse for poor communication from the club, to be honest. Um, But they've also had a number of staff changes as well. And also a lot of COVID stuff to deal with and things like that. I think it's a mixture, to be honest, Char- um, Charlie. Um, but it's got to improve, and I think they acknowledge that the communication side of things absolutely has to improve because it, some of the stuff, basically, you know, around the season tickets, around the south stand, things like that, just I, we all know they should have been communicated a lot better.
1: I think I think what it makes you do is, for me, certainly, when these things aren't communicated. You go to games and you go to the hive and you're there and you sort of have this resentment somewhere deep down that is making you want to, you know, pick everything you see that you think's going yeah. on. Whereas if there was just something as simple as a bit of communication, we know we know you're working on it. We've been told when you're not hearing anything, you you try to find things to to pick up on and you know criticize because you're not getting anything. Well, back.
3: it's funny you should say that, Charlie, because I think Carla. That was more or less said word for word, wasn't it? We said that. They said, in in the absence of the, you know, of that communication, people will make well, will will, will come to their own conclusions based on the information they've got. And of course, the information they've got is very little information. Some of it's rumor, some of it's conjecture. So mm-hmm. you know, there's yeah. not a clear message going out there. So naturally, uh, supporters will feel um, a bit isolated and. and and just not understanding the reasons behind it so um, I I think that's something that um, uh, we've all got to work on and I think it's part of the relationship we need to build with the club because if they feel they can trust us with with that uh, information it will make it easier for them it'll make it a lot easier for us as well.
2: From my perspective the reason they didn't do much communication about the south stand was because we're still in a bit of a position where right now we don't know kind of where it's going and how long that's going to be and I think they kind of saw it as having to tell it all and then look like oh a bit of a shambles or nothing whereas I'm think like as a sports association like we have done we can kind of communicate in an effective way and the club can kind of they don't have to Say the ins and outs of absolutely everything, but just a little explanation to the supporters to kind of say, we like there is a reason the South Stand's closed, and although we can't put kind of a time limit on it right now, there is a reason, and we're working on it, and we're just keeping you in the loop. And I think that is what, as a sports association, we're trying to do is to keep fans in the loop about those things.
0: We have actually, the sports association has actually put forward an idea or two to the club about maybe how we help communicate some ideas around we're just going to take a short break and after the break we'll, um, we'll come and talk a bit about Saturday's game that's just passed
1: So, uh, obviously, we had our first win of the season on Saturday, much to everybody's delight. Um, Obviously, Kiel got sacked on the Tuesday? Monday, on the Monday. Um, What, Carla, what uh, immediate changes did you witness from the game itself and the way we set up and the way we started that first half um, with with Dean in charge?
2: I think from the off, I mean, you had... Players, for example, Brundle has been playing as a defender when he's not a defender, and he's got a lot of stick from fans because he's not been very good. But actually, when he's playing in his own position, it turns out he's a decent footballer. And I think there was the obvious that like you actually had players playing in their positions. Um, and I think we set up playing a progressive game, and um, I think the players kind of knew what... They needed to do knew what was expected of them. Obviously, under Harry Kuhl, every it was changing all the time. Everything was changing. I think when you've got all those games and every single time you're doing something different, it's hard to keep up. Whereas it was clear they had been given a task by Dean Brennan. They were playing in a way that they wanted to play. The players were playing in their own positions where they felt comfortable to play. And you could just tell that everyone kind of felt they were on the same page and knew what kind of plan they had to execute. And I think you could feel from the off that the morale around the club was different, that the boys were excited for the game and that they were ready to play. And I think it made a world of difference.
0: For you, Mark, from what you've seen before this season and um, and this game, how do you feel it differed?
3: Well, I think Carla summarised it very well, actually. I, I felt there was a-, a clear pattern to the way we were playing. I think everybody uh, appeared to know what they were supposed to be doing, um, and we didn't waver from that, even when the setback of basically the equaliser, we stuck to our guns. I also thought, actually, um, uh, up front, basically the just um, the closing down, um, the tenacious style basically that led to Marriott's goal, um, all of that sort of stuff just showed an energy, and a conviction basically that didn't seem to be there before, um, and it actually looked as though we'd got some decent players um, so yeah one one you know one swallow doesn't make a summer as they say you know one win um, isn't everything, but there were certainly some very positive signs
1: I think the important thing the, the the thing I took from it the most which I'm most pleased about is like you said mark when we went when we conceded the equalizer. I said this in the high five, I was sat there and I'm sure all of you were as well. That equaliser goes in with 15 minutes to go and you're thinking, here we go, here we go again. Yep. We, we, we are never going to win. Um, mm-hmm. And I felt like under Cure, we would have gone on to either either get a point there, or we, we could have easily gone on to lose that. Um, and I think the, like you said, the, the pressing and you mentioned it in an interview after, they had been working on fitness. He wants the team. He wants us to press from the front hard, and mm-hmm. you can see that. And and this, at one one as well, he brought on three. I think he made three attacking changes. Yeah, um, with Powell, Hall, um, and Marriott, uh, Marriott um, who who two of them combined for the second goal. Um, and and yeah, it was just positive from the start. And and he was so animated on on the touchline constantly, and you could hear him from the, from the top of the West Stand where I was. Um, and then i mean let's let's talk about let's talk about the end i know, i know we've skipped sort of through the game we've got such a good result but um what was it like uh, carla for you at the end to see you know brennan and the team in a, in a huddle in front of us and seeing that passion and and um hunger and fight from from the manager to, towards us
2: i think i think dean brennan knows how to work a crowd um there was a lot he was doing at the end of the game that reminded me of Darren Curry, but in a positive way because obviously Darren Curry always understood what it was like to be a Barnet fan and he understood what it meant to supporters. And actually, throughout the week, Dean Brennan's made this point we have to give you something to cheer about. And he's made the point that it's up to the players to put on a show for the fans, play good football, and the fans will respond to that. And I think that's exactly what happened. You know, we got the three points, we. As you say, under Cure, we probably would have either gone on to lose that game or draw. But actually, we showed the kind of determination to win it. And then the fans were receptive to that. And at the end, you could, for me, the biggest difference, obviously, Harry Taylor, I personally think is one of our best players. And you've seen a few times this season where we've conceded and he's just kind of looked around and looked quite fed up. And at full time he looked so delighted and you could tell how much it meant to the players because the players have been working hard and I think you can only like we have got good players and when you see the performance from Saturday it's clear they have been working hard they do care and actually when given the right instructions and setting up the right way they can play good football and get three points so I think it was just so nice obviously after some miserable weeks for everyone. It did feel like everyone was just uniting a bit more.
1: Mark, if it was down to you and you were in charge of deciding who was the, who was, who was next to to take the uh, manager's job right now, what would you do?
3: Well, whatever happens, we need some consistency and we need basically a whole team that is bought into the same strategy and approach. Um, We saw a bit of that on Saturday. You know, basically the team uh, were united in the way they were going to play together. They put in the effort. Uh, Dean Brennan had set them up to play in a particular way and everybody was committed to it. That's what we need to say. It doesn't, you know, whatever the personnel, basically, whoever comes in with a director of football or a coach, what we want to see is that consistency because that will drive, if we've got good players, which I believe we've got some potentially very good players. We will see the results come out of that, but but we need that level of consistency from the management level, and um, you know I think we've got some grounds for optimism. But uh, I'm you know I'll, I always look to see well, okay, see what it looks like in two or three games. If we still feel the same way, then I think um, we probably have got a much more positive season to look forward to, particularly after what we've heard from Dean Brennan and the way that he wants to drive that consistency and that professionalism from top to bottom um but uh only the next few games will will find out
1: i thought um it is so true what you said mark about you know noticing we've had, we have actually got some good players like I, I was i was shocked um and and to think you know that sam beard wasn't getting a start under cue and then for him to come in and play like he did on saturday and and that that assist for that third goal that cross was just unbelievable, an absolute one, and I think we have got solid. If you look at players, player for player, bar bar the midfield, I reckon we could do with another central midfielder, a sort of box to box midfielder. But bar that, player for player in every position, we have got good players, good players, and, and we've got a good structure to the team, good spine, um, leaders in there. We've got quality, we've got pace, we've got good finishers. I think you know that backed with. Dean Brennan, maybe, or whoever comes in and, and play in the way that we want them to play. It's, I mean, forget about that. Forget about those five games we've had. Our season started on Saturday. we just got to, you know, we got to look forward. And like you said, in three or four games time, we could be in the top half of the table. And, you know, it's the whole season looks completely different then.
2: I think for me, like, obviously under Harry Kuhl, Sam Granville, 17 years old, was starting and... He wasn't I don't think he did terribly, but I just don't think he was ready for it. But I was at the under 18s FA Youth Cup game last night and him and Callum were the two players who've made senior appearances that were playing. Sam Granville was so good. Like Who else did you say sorry? Absolutely, Sam and who? James Callan. Oh, cool, yeah. He was playing in goal. Um Callan saved a penalty as well. Um but Granville was just honestly so good, like you can tell he's such a bright player and he was head of a lot of, pretty, I'd say, pretty much any other player on that pitch. And I think, um obviously, we didn't really know who he was until this season. And then everyone who kind of knew about him was like, yeah, yeah, he's a bright pro- prospect. And then under Kuhl, everyone was a bit like, oh, what? But when you remember that, actually, he was 17 years old and Kuhl was putting him in a very demanding position, especially in the way we were playing And he was obviously, like, against grown men. It was clear he was going to get bullied, especially when he was playing alongside a team that weren't really helping him in that position. But actually, when you look at him playing around people his age, he's really good. And I think, for me, like, the fact he wasn't involved in Saturday isn't Dean Brennan having, like, thrown shade at him or anything. It's saying, you're just not ready for this yet. But if you carry on playing how you are at youth level... You'll be ready to come through and make your appearances, but he just wasn't ready for ninety minutes as a seventeen-year-old playing central midfielder.
3: It'd be much easier for him to come into a side that is settled, playing in a set way, um, and is actually getting results, wouldn't it? Um, you know, yeah, later yeah. on in the season, um, uh, that, that, that uh, hopefully that will bring him on um, to the next stage and actually uh, mean that he does be, he is able to contribute in the right way. Mm. It's much easier to do that in a confident team that knows how they're going to play.
1: 100%. And it reminds me of um, another 17-year-old blonde hair teenager that we had, uh, goes by the name of Jack Taylor. I remember he was eased into it. And I remember he came on as a sub. I think it was 2016. I think he was 17. He was away to Luton. I think we lost. But he'd come on every now and then uh, in a few games. And he came on as a second-half sub at Luton. You could tell he was good, but he still didn't start. Um, you know we nurtured him and then look what he's gone on to do so you know big props yep. to Dean Brennan for doing that because maybe maybe it's not the right time and maybe he needs to you know get a bit of TLC again in the in the under 18s and then get ease back into first team when it's right and when the spirit's high and when he's not going to be on the back of some heavy defeats in a pivotal role where he could get scrutinised you know all over social media and all that kind of thing
0: No I'd agree with that you don't want to flog a guy who's only 17 it's a uh, it's, it's it's a very demanding league and it's a very demanding game for a seventeen-year-old. So I agree with everything um, about that. So I mean, talking of um, from Saturday's game, I wanna, want to want you all to pick uh, your man of the matches from from the game. Carla, let's start with Carla, Ladies first.
2: Um, and between two, I thought Bloomfield was really good. I thought he's been okay at times this season, but he had a really good game he was really positive going forward getting into all the right places um and I also thought when Marriott came on him and Bloomfield I think can be really really good for us this season what
0: about you Mark
3: yeah I'm much the same I mean also Sam Beard I thought I had a really good game as well um I, but yeah I think uh um I think the two that uh, Carla's picked out there were also very good. You know, I like Bloomfield up front. Um, he's he he strongly holds up the ball well. He creates a presence. Um, I think you know with a extended run with, uh, with with a consistent team playing around him, I'm I'm sure he will create a lot of problems. Um, you know, I also quite like Cisse as well. I thought I thought he did all right. I think most of the team, to be honest, actually um play to a good level. Um I don't I can't couldn't really pick out anybody who had a really bad game uh, or a bad game. I think everybody was quite consistent with a few that were just that little bit
0: better. How about you Charlie.
1: Yeah, I'd have to agree there's a few of the names have been mentioned already. Um my man of the match would be Sam Beard. Uh, I thought I thought he was he was absolutely sensational, he was just solid, so solid going forward and defending. Um properly wears his heart on his sleeve um and i, I you know when at Bromley uh, a couple of weeks ago, you could see he came in for a challenge right in front of where I stood on the side, and you could just see the sweat dripping off him and he he just put every last bit of energy he had into that particular tackle and that 's all you want to see you know but I think from last week Sam beard definitely but i've got to, i've got to give a shout out to um to Powell and um, and Marriott, because I thought when they came on, they completely changed the game. Their defence didn't know what was going on. And and the goal, the second goal we scored, I put it on Twitter, um, I commented on it on Twitter early in the week, I think it's so underrated. It looks just like a little finish in the six-yard box, but I think the press oh. in the ball, and if you look at it again, Marriott, just, he, the ball's rolling towards him and he, he looks out of his peripheral vision and he sees the centre-half running towards him and he knows, and he just does a little drop of the shoulder and just brings it back around, knowing he'll take him out of the game. And then to have that um, intelligence to to do that and then immediately dip it over the goalie, I thought it was a quality goal. And then you knew you knew from that moment we were going to go on to win.
3: It was a very cool finish, absolutely. And um, yeah, to bring on players like that, it did wonder actually why one or two of them weren't playing for a start. But there again, everybody else had played quite well too. I would certainly been been looking forward to seeing um Daniel Powell actually uh, play. So i actually seen him I don't think I've seen him play before actually because uh, I haven't seen all the games this season. Um so, you know, uh, I think as well as the players that started on the pitch, it's good to see that actually we've got a um you know, we've got some players on the bench. We've actually got a squad, you know. So hopefully that will bode well for the rest of the season.
0: I genuinely think that if um, we can get Daniel Powell up and running, then I think he will win us a lot of games this season. Mm-hmm. I was really pleased to see him like so involved in that in that goal with Marriott. Um, he is a good footballer. I think I mean Hall has got a very good uh, pedigree, and I do hope that we can keep him fit because if we've got two players who who what a couple of seasons ago were playing cha- uh, Division One Championship football. I mean, they've clearly got quality, um, and to have those sort of ki- kind of guys in your squad to add that extra quality is is really power- going to be really powerful and really useful for the rest of the season. Um, so I'm, I'm I've got my fingers crossed that both of them too can, you know, can stay can steer clear of injuries. Yeah,
3: well, we know what the old, the the Barnet curse has been for years. It's injuries, isn't it? It's keeping the, the, the squad fit and those players that look as though they show some promise keep them fit and keep a consistent team. I think, uh, you know, if we can keep relatively free of injuries and keep that consistent squad, it's going to help no end.
0: Uh, definitely. And on that, on that I just want to thank everybody for tonight's show. Um, thanks, Carla. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Charlie. Charlie's going to take over from, from hosting this show um, for the next one. Uh, I'm going to step aside and just carry on doing the bees pod stuff. Um, but thanks for listening tonight and um, hopefully we'll get this pod out as soon as we can thanks everyone thank you